Welcome to The Secret to Successful Development Projects, a podcast series from Muckle LLP. In this series, we'll look at how to get set for success as we tackle the key things you need to get right on a development project in bite-sized chunks. You can find out more about what we'll be covering at muckle-llp.com slash development success. This time around, we ask what is the key to development success? Thank you. I'm Hugh Welch, I'm Senior Partner at at Muckle, and I'm joined today by Lucilla Woff, who's Head of our Construction, Engineering and Projects team. Um, I should at the outset make very clear that I'm not a construction lawyer, I'm a corporate lawyer, although um, I have had considerable experience of construction projects as they fed into particular transactions that we've been dealing with. And over the years here at Muckle, we've we've advised clients on a on a wide variety of development projects as as diverse as our client base is. So particularly in the education sector, healthcare, care homes, residential care, student accommodation, a whole raft of commercial, industrial, and, and, and retail developments, sports facilities anaerobic digesters, and I'm told interconnectors on, under the sea, although I'm not entirely clear about that one. And it's, as I said, it's a very diverse cross-sector of projects, and every project is unique and every project is different. But there's undoubtedly common themes that run through all of them, and that's common themes about things that can go right, and indeed problems that can be, can be avoided. So Lucilla's joined me today to highlight these common themes, to share our experience of what works best about around developing a, a successful project, and in particular to explain how this podcast series will work. So Lucilla, what's the key to successful delivery? Thanks, Hugh. Um, delivering a development project successfully involves, I think, very careful planning and coordination of a great many work streams and moving parts. Um, It involves identifying risks and having strategies for dealing with them. And it's about having strategies for how to minimize disputes and mitigate the effects of those disputes. So this podcast is the first in the series. Um, It's an introduction to the various work streams that we will cover off in each future episode. Um, I think each episode will highlight the key points to be addressed to um, successfully deliver that particular work stream covered by that episode. And I think whether you are um, an owner occupier or whether you're public or private sector embarking on a development project and whatever size you are, I think you'll find quite lots lots of um, useful advice ahead. Um, And if you're a developer or working in the design and construction supply chain, while some of the work streams may not be directly applicable to your role, I think they will still provide you with a useful insight into um, the client's perspective. Uh, so you can take this into account when you're scoping and pricing and generally help to build relationship and collaboration with the client. So I think that's the, that bit in a nutshell. Okay, yeah, I've got that. And you talk about many work streams and moving parts and risks, but but cutting through all of that, from your perspective as a construction lawyer, is the ultimate key to success simply down to the quality of the design and the quality of the the construction work? 
Uh, not at all. I mean, clearly that is really key, but it is just one element. And I think what I'd probably be helpful to do is kind of take each element broadly in the order of um, the chronological order of how a development process works uh, and give the edited highlights. Now, I'm not going to go into kind of detail of each of those because that's exactly what the future episodes are going to do. They're going to expand on the, the sort of bullets. But I think they can be summarised, um, starting with uh, the client should be very clear on what their strategic objectives for the development project are and what outcomes they're seeking to achieve. And that's uh, based on what is important to them, their customers and all of their stakeholders. And I think getting their strategic objectives and outcomes right and sorted at the beginning is totally critical to the success of the project. The next thing is um, the client should carry out a comprehensive options appraisal. They should look at the options for achieving these objectives and outcomes, um, and they range from do nothing, or repair the facility, refurbish it, relocate to existing accommodation, or um, go to a new build, uh, which they've um, either spec themselves or someone has developed for, for, for them. Um, so really, the options appraisal is, is important. The next, I would say, is establishing a strategy for delivering the preferred option. And this has a number of moving parts. Um, how to finance the project, how to structure the delivery model, what team you need to deliver the project, how you're going to procure your contractor and designers and your professional team, um, what rules do you need to apply in terms of procurement, standing orders or other rules such as UK subsidy regime, which used to be called state aid, and deciding on what form of contract uh, is best suited for your project. The next thing I think is obviously clearing, clearly having a strategy for obtaining planning permission. Um, some um, clients have um, their own in-house expert planning consultants, but if you don't, um, it's obviously worth and necessary to appoint some and to have a benchmark for what would constitute um, unsatisfactory planning conditions and address the implications of those and indeed any other agreements like Section 106 agreements and infrastructure agreements. Uh, moving on to the next, which um, sort of there's site condition and there's title risk. These two things I find are often um, considered as a sort of easy bit of a project, but actually they seem to create the most amount of work and issues. Um, Assessing site condition risk is really important. The, the, the risks can be very wide ranging from contamination or asbestos, uh, the existence of utilities, bats, newts, knotweed, fossils and antiquities. So a, a very varied range of things that can happen. And it's really important, I think, at the start for clients to, uh, to consider who's best able to carry the risk. Because um, often if you want to pass it all, for instance, to the contractor, you may find that you're getting the risk priced, um, whereas the risk actually never occurs. So it's important to think about that at the beginning. And I think the next point is, as I said, the title issues. Um,
carry out title due diligence on the site at the very earliest opportunity, even if it's your own site and you've owned it for many years, if you're building out on that site. Um, because again, it's to do with identifying the risks and working out who should best deal with them. And when I talk about title review, I'm talking about identifying rights over the site that third parties have, and it might be mines and minerals, it could be restrictive covenants, it could be rights of way or light or rights to use services. Um, it could be existing leases and tenancies, uh, which and you need to get vacant possession. Could be to do with a liability for chancel repair. There's a lot of things that need to be uh, looked at and identified. So once you've got your spade in the ground, um, I think it's very important to actively and proactively manage your development process. Um, and particularly where you've got um, very specific contracts like the NEC contract, where it's very process driven. It's not a question of putting your contract in the drawer. You really have to actively um, manage the contract in accordance with its terms. And clearly the active management is designed to make sure you stick to program, even exceed it, um, and you stick to your budget and minimize any claims that might arise. And talking of claims, um, I think you ought to start think about how you're going to manage claims. Hopefully you don't get any. But um, the first thing I would do is consider what insurance, insurances should be put in place at the start of the project and who should put them in place. Um, engage an insurance broker. We find that often clients leave this quite late on. I mean, big public sector bodies tend to have obviously brokers in place or an internal insurance department, but um, this isn't normally uh, often the case for private sector clients. So do engage an insurance broker. And if claims arise, have a strategy for resolution which takes into account both, both cost versus reward and develop a well thought through statement of case to give you the best chance of success. Um, the next thing I would say is take specialist advice where a project partner or supply chain member is um, or is threatening or is insolvent. I mean, sadly, we have seen um, in lockdown a surge in administrations and liquidations and clients should seek advice from lawyers as soon as possible as, as when they get wind of um, this happening, because uh, the earlier the better and it will help to minimize disruption and cost and uh, to do things like looking at um, calling in performance bonds and the strategy for that. Um, so once the project is complete, uh, this often actually gets overlooked or isn't dealt with very well. It's a question of monitoring um, performance post-completion. Um, have you got um, KPIs in place against which you should measure performance? Um, if it's a more engineering type project, have you put in place the, the correct testing procedures and provided for acceptance testing and got a system for penalizing in the event that the tests aren't met? It's all very well going through this wonderful development process if you haven't actually got a method to monitor the performance against the criteria you set out with. The next one is, I think, planning, operation and maintenance strategy. And this really should be right at the start of the project. Um, clients 
must make sure that the facilities are operated and maintained properly to achieve efficiencies, cost savings and a carbon reduction. And I think the last of the uh, highlights is make sure you have a strategy for getting the best use out of your space. And again, this should be considered right at the beginning um, when the client's defining its requirements. Clients need to implement the arrangements for use of space, considering what flexibility they need, especially in this world that we're all getting very used to of agile working. You know, is it a question of licenses or leases or service occupancies? What is needed to achieve flexibility to meet the client's needs and their customers' needs? So it's quite a long list there of things to plan for, but I hope that's been useful. Yes, th thanks, thanks, Lucilla. Yeah, I think yes. Even without worrying about your bats, your newts, <laughs> and your Japanese knotweed, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty daunting list. Um, so if I if I put my hat on as a as a as a prospective developer, as a as a as a client as a client of yours, narrow it down a bit for me. What what are your what are your top top three tips for me well they sound terribly simple really um and it's probably teaching many of our listeners to suck eggs but i, I i'd like to mention them because that they don't always happen and that's where we find things go a little bit wrong and and, and there's three things really the first thing is plan ahead um i like comparing planning a project to planning a holiday mainly because I am desperate to go on holiday. Um, and if we apply the rules that we apply to our own personal lives in planning a holiday, we know that if we plan it well, we get the most out of our holiday. So if we sort of take that analogy, uh, if you're going on holiday, first thing you do is you assess what are your objectives. Um, is it that you want to rest and revive or do you want to learn a new skill or have a new experience? Similarly, with a new project, work out what your outcomes are, what, what you're looking to achieve. And then whatever you plan for your holiday, whatever your objectives are, then that will dictate your options. Do you want to stay at home? Do you want to do nothing? Do you want to go abroad? Do you want to do some DIY or want a change of scene? Very similar to the options you have in looking at your accommodation needs. So once you've, if you decide to go abroad or go away, how do you want to structure your holiday? Do you want a state-of-the-art tailor-made holiday or do you want an all-in package holiday? And, and who do you need to help you plan this lovely holiday? Uh, can you do it yourself? Do you need friends and colleagues to help recommend places to go? Do you need a travel agent? Uh, what approvals do you need? What certificates do you need? Go to your employer for a vacation leave, get a visa, international driving license. PCR tests. And how long do you want your holiday to be? Forever, but that's not an option. Um, you know, what happens if it overruns because you're quarantined, for example? What is your budget? Have you factored in all the costs of the PCR tests? Do you need to borrow money to pay for the holiday? And um, what plans do you have if things go a little bit wrong? Have you got travel and health insurance? What access to funds do you have if your wallet's stolen? So you can see there's a very great synergy between planning a project and all the elements I've talked about earlier 
and planning a holiday. And I think it's it's always useful to personalise it, to, to realise it is simple, but it's really important. But it's not just about the planning. I think it's really also about good project management. It's having the right systems in place to allow you to follow due process. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, well, I'm a construction lawyer, and um, I mentioned the NEC suite of contracts. There's various design and construction and engineering contracts, professional appointments within the suite, but all of them take the same approach. They are very process driven. They are there to be actively managed, not put in a drawer. And the plan is that if you actively manage them, you address risk up front, then you will minimize costly disputes at the end. But the point is, if you don't actively manage these contracts, there's often a stream of kind of conditions, precedents that you have to comply with in order to exercise and enforce your rights. And if you don't do those things, then you lose your rights. So it's really important to actively manage. And, a, and another good example, I think, certainly from the construction arena, is, is the application of the Construction Act. It's got a much longer name, but we in the trade call it the Construction Act. And this applies to construction contracts, which includes professional appointments. And the Act requires the parties to construction contracts to comply with various payment procedures, including serving notices, particularly payless notices, if you don't agree with the amount that's being claimed from you. And under that Act, if you don't serve these notices, you're going to prejudice your ability to recover uh, um, what you want to claim or indeed uh, defend any application for payment. And the result would be that uh, the contractor and consultants could suspend work and uh, you could be adjudicated against, which sucks you into horrible time and cost problems. So it's really important to actively and pro project manage well. And the last thing sounds terribly simplistic, but um, I was talking to a claims consultant the other day and it's, it's so basic, but it's so true. You must keep good records. Um, and by that, I mean, first of all, make sure any contracts you entered into are signed and signed properly and dated. Uh, make sure that any agreements you reach um, are recorded and you keep minutes of them as evidence of what those agreements are and keep all of these things in a safe place. It is ex it's very surprising how often this doesn't happen. And so many disputes that come across our desks would be really avoided totally if those three things I've just talked about happened. Okay, no, thank you. That's that's helpful. Right. So yeah, some great some great practical tips there for, for those who are thinking of embarking on a on a development project. And and let's assume again that I am your I am your prospective your prospective client for this um, for this development project. Um, what what else can your firm? What else can Muckle do for me that'll help me deliver a successful project? Well, hopefully, I've conveyed the the the, the fact that there's lots of constituent parts to a project, and. Um, virtually all the teams in Muckle are involved with the development, uh, deve development projects, um, maybe not our wills and probate team, um, but virtually everyone else. Um, obviously, it goes without saying that the real estate and, constru and construction teams are specialists in this field. 
But there are so many other experts in Markle who, who are required to assist with the successful delivery of the project. So, for example, we've got corporate to advise on the best project structures. We've got banking on project finance. Uh, we've got procurement on frameworks, tendering procedures and procurement challenges. Um, employment, uh, they have advised on um, the appointment of consultants and secondees from group companies and any tupi issues that may apply in appointing these people. Um, we've got our insolvency team who advise on, you guessed it, insolvency. Um, our dispute resolution team um, are experts in mediations, adjudications, litigation and arbitrations. Um, we have a, a, a bespoke real estate dispute resolution team who are uh, very active in the development process because they do things like apply to the lands tribunal for release of restricted covenants. Um, they might help us with uh, getting uh, possession of um, the site um, by instigating proceedings there. And uh, something that we're heavily involved with at the moment is um, cladding projects post Grenfell and there are a lot of um, procedures that uh, we advise on in connection with reclaiming um, the costs of recladding through the service charges. And we've also got commercial, last but not least, um, who are um, involved with our projects where it comes to advising on some delivery models like joint ventures, but also on contracts like facilities management and operation and maintenance contracts and uh, specifically also um, often advising on data protection and um, intellectual property issues that might arise. So all the teams generally are involved. Um, each of the episodes in, the, in this podcast will focus on the various components that those teams advise on. Um, so just a bit more about how we will work the podcast going forward. Um, each episode will be a question and answer session between Muckle people. Um, those answering the questions being the experts on the specialist subject uh, which to which the episode relates. And in some episodes we will have the privilege of being joined by external guests who will share their wisdom with us on the topic in question. And that brings me neatly onto our next episode episode two and in that episode taking if you remember the uh, chronological order of things that we need to look at in a project we're going to look at exploring how clients get the right outcomes from their development projects by setting their strategic um, objectives clearly out and we'll be talking to carol cairns from northumbrian water um, carol is the perfect person to talk on this subject um, not least because she is both strategic planning manager at Northumbria Water, but she's also the chair of the Constructing Excellence Northeast Client Group. And, and that group has been set up to champion why and how clients who are undertaking a development projects should focus on making value-based decisions in selecting consultants and contractors rather than, rather than just selecting on the cheapest price. Okay, thank, thank, thank you, Lucilla. So, in, in, in summary then, um, we hope that this will be a useful series 
pulling together all the key steps that you, whether as a developer or as somebody who is in the construction supply chain, needs to be aware of to get your development from the very start through to a successful conclusion. And I sincerely hope that it will be a useful series for you, for you all. But for the moment, that's all we've got time for. So thank you for listening. And from both of us, goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Secret to Successful Development Projects, a podcast series from Muckle LLP. You can find out more at muckle-llp.com slash development success.